Welcome to the Cork Church Podcast. We are so glad that you're joining us today. We hope that this message inspires you, builds your faith, and encourages you in the things of the Lord. Enjoy the message. Well, it's fantastic to be here finally and join you on this fine Wednesday evening. Let's pray together. Come on, lift your hands in faith. Let's pray to the Lord. Lord, we just bless you. We love you. We give you glory, Lord. We are, we are the fruits, Lord, of your labor and Calvary. When you bled and died for us, Lord Jesus, wasn't it to purchase us, Lord? Wasn't it, Lord, to shed your blood, Lord, and to bring a people to yourself, Lord? And that's who we are tonight. We're your people, purchased by your blood. Thank you for that truth, Lord. Thank you for that abiding, everlasting reality. I am loved by God. God gave everything for me. Thank you, Lord, that you gave your life. And now, Lord, I just pray that you would quicken me and use me to bring the word that you've given me to bring to your people, God. I pray above all that you would be glorified, that this would be helpful, that this would help your people to move on in the things of God, I pray, and to see you clearly, to see you as you are. In the name of Jesus, and we all said, amen and amen and amen. Praise the Lord. Folks, tonight I'd like to talk to you about reaction, reactions, amen, reactions. So I've simply called the message tonight, or the teaching if you like, react, react. So I want you to put your hands up right now if you can remember the millennium bug, right? I'm asking you to show your age, yes. If you can remember the millennium bug, right? Y2K, uh, you remember the, the whole fear-mongery thing. As soon as the clock struck 12 uh, on, on uh, January 1st, 2000, all technology would crash and explode and blow up and, and we'd be brought back to the Stone Age. Amen, you remember that? Do you remember the panic that ensued? No, everybody's, everybody pretends like they, they took it in faith and just trusted the Lord and amen, everything's going to be okay, que sera, sera. No, I don't believe that. I think there was more than one panic roll of toilet paper purchased in, in, the, late, in the late hours of 1999, right? Let me read to you a title uh, of a book that was written in, uh, in late 1999. 100 ways to survive the Y2K crisis. The vital resource that tells you how to preserve food and purify water, how to protect your home and family, use alternative heat and energy resources, prepare for health emergencies and safeguard your assets. Right. Can you imagine buying that book? Right? That's $20, euros, pounds you never get back. Can you imagine writing that book? That's six months of your life you'll never get back. When the news hits, people just reacted, didn't they? We just reacted. And listen, if you went around back in 2000, let me cast your mind back to two years ago. 
right? As soon as the word came out that the pandemic was, was, about, was, was here and lockdown was about to happen, we all ran out to the nearest shop. We bought all the toilet paper we could, amen? No, you did. I did. My bathtub was full of toilet paper. It was. Went down to the gas station, filled my car up with gas because I didn't know if I would ever be able to buy gas again. And I don't fancy walking in and out to work every day. So I went and bought a load of gas. I'll even tell you this. The day they announced the lockdown, I and my wonderful wife put on our masks and drove into the church in the evening to get as much canned food as we could from Feed Cork. <laughs> as much canned food as we could, because it was the apocalypse. Everything was ending. Fear had gripped the nation and we just reacted. We just reacted. We just did whatever we thought we had to do to survive. I mean, people, I, people built bunkers and put enough food in there. It was as if it was the threat of a nuclear fallout. That happened. We lived through that. Folks, reactions matter. Reacting the right way has the um, capacity or the, the ability to save us a lot of trouble. It's true. A lot of frustration and trouble and issues enter into our lives because we react instead of respond. There's a difference. Reacting the right way matters. And how I react and how you react in the face of crisis is important to God. How many of you know that we are yet again facing crisis? We're facing crisis. They're talking about astronomical price hikes and fuel and food and all the rest of it. Yet again, the threat is upon us. How will we react as Christian people? It matters to God because reacting the right way will set us on a path either to peace or to panic. Isn't it true? We're, we're supposed to have a security. It's funny. We throw our theology out the door as soon as panic hits in. God's only sovereign until we have to trust that he's sovereign. He's only in control until we're out of, feel out of control. And then we try and take control. No, just me. Mm. I want to talk about reactivity tonight. And here's a definition for reactivity or reactive behavior. Reactive behavior often refers to an immediate response to feelings. Say feelings. feelings. Right. <laughs> About an uncontrollable situation, a problem or an issue. I'll read that again. <laughs> reactive behavior often refers to an immediate response to feelings about an uncontrollable situation, a problem or another issue. And folks, today I want to look in the scriptures. I want to look in the life of King Hezekiah and I want to explore with you um, how sort of his journey and by the grace of God, yours out of what I call reactive behavior, reactive impulse behavior, fear-based behavior, so um, I'd like you to turn with me to Isaiah chapter 30, please. 
And while you turn there, I'm going to give you some context. But before I do that, uh, I'm going to give you a quote by the Greek philosopher Epictetus. And he's credited with saying this. It's not what happens to you, but how you react to it that matters. Isn't that the truth? Now, in Isaiah 30, we're picking it up at a crucial time in the kingdom of Judah. Hezekiah, one of the few good southern kings out of the 20 that ruled in the southern kingdom over a 400-ish year period, only four were good. Only four were righteous, and Hezekiah was one of them. And we know in 722 AD, or BC, excuse me, the Assyrians had marched on the northern tribes. They'd taken them, the scriptures say in 2 Kings 17, because of idolatry. That was the real reason why the northern kingdom was disbanded and replanted. And by the time of Jesus, it was just known as Samaria. But the southern kingdom had gone through a few more kings and managed to keep hold of control of autocracy for a little bit longer. Okay, but sure enough, God had pronounced judgment on them as well. And what's interesting is that the southern kingdom had actually relied on Assyria earlier on for deliverance, but God had warned them against that and told them, I'm actually going to use the Assyrians to punish you. And so this punishment had come in the form of a king by the name of Sennacherib. Sennacherib was a mean man. He was a bad man, okay? The Assyrians were no joke. They were pillaging and plundering and destroying and murdering in the most vile ways the people uh, in the kingdoms and in the towns and cities and, and um, built up areas that they wanted to subject to themselves. So Sennacherib shows up um, and begins to threaten Hezekiah and a word comes to Hezekiah, okay, in the face of this threat, right, in the face of this threat, and I just want to read uh, the first three verses of Isaiah 30 here, and then we'll move on quickly. This is Isaiah the prophet, the son of Amos, speaking to the king. He says, uh, the word of the Lord to Hezekiah, our stubborn children, declares the Lord, who carry out a plan, but not mine, who make an alliance, and what's amazing about that word is it means to spin a web like a spider, right? But not of my spirit, that they may add sin to sin, who set out to go down to Egypt without asking for my direction, to take refuge in the protection of Pharaoh and to seek shelter in the shadow of Egypt. Isn't it funny the system that had subjugated them, the system that had held them, became the system that they turned back to for help in time of need. And I'm going to explore this with you now. Uh, I want to stop the reading just there. And I want to ask you a question. Are you a reactive person? Are you reactive in the face of crisis? And I want to tell you something too. How we react in the face of crisis tells us a lot about our faith. It actually tells us a lot about our faith. You know, the scriptures begin, uh, Isaiah, God's word, literally it says stubborn children. Other translations say rebellious, rebellious children, resistant, resisting something. You know, when we get reactive, it seems that we're 
You know, where if we take a, a resistant point or, or a position, uh, that's what we do. And I want to ask you this as well. Um, are you guilty of powerless problem solving? And I want you to look at what the, the passage says here. Look at it here. The scriptures say, do you um, make a plan? Are you making plans without taking my counsel? In other words, when crisis looms, when things hit your life, are you making prayerless plans? Are you, are, whose mind are you consulting? David wrote in Psalm, in Psalm 13 verse 2, he said, How long, O Lord, how long will I continue to consult my own soul? David literally was, was in a position waiting for God to do something. And he was turning to himself, his feelings, his own mind, his own understanding. He was looking to himself he was looking inward, taking counsel from his own mind. How many of us do that? How many of us go there? And it's not just that. It says this too, that we make alliances. How long are you going to make alliances with Egypt? Make alliances that aren't of my spirit. How long are you going to do those things? You know, I want to say this as well. Reactive behavior is our attempt at self-salvation. Hezekiah was facing a threat, facing something that he couldn't find a way out of. So instead of turning to God, he turned to himself. Reactive behavior is self-salvation. We ran to the toilet, to the, to the shop to get toilet paper because we didn't believe that God knew how to provide for our needs. We made provisions because we didn't trust that he would be able to protect and provide us through that difficult time in our lives. It's funny, it's a principle we should take down. Reactive behavior is our attempt at self-salvation. It's our wisdom instead of God's. It's our strength instead of his. And the scriptures say here, it's breeding woe. It's breeding woe. Whether we need to understand something about Egypt. Egypt is flesh. Egypt is the natural, natural solutions. That's what Egypt is. Egypt is a kingdom, a power that God had delivered you from, right? God has, God has judged flesh. God has judged the natural. God has judged human reason, judged human strength. God's, God now moves on the grounds of faith, yet we turn back to human strength and turn back to those things when crisis comes looming. God says, I put that under a curse and you're running back to it. I judged Egypt. Egypt helped Held you captive. Flesh, the natural, it's not enough. It can't get you there. It holds us captive. Captive under futility, the scriptures say in Galatians. Captive. And the scriptures say right here in Isaiah, it adds sin upon sin. Our efforts will never do it. They'll never do it. It's a Christless solution. It's a prayerless solution. We're guilty of a thousand prayerless solutions, a thousand strands in a web that can never hold the falling rock of the problem that's coming our way. But that's what we do. That's what we do. That reactionary attitude. It's our behavior. And all it brings is woe. Listen to Isaiah 31 verse 1. Woe to those who go down to Egypt for help and rely on horses, who trust in chariots because they are many, and in horsemen because they are very strong. But do not look to the Holy One of Israel or consult 
the Lord. Man, I need to pray more instead of doing everything I can and then just giving God a prayer at the end. How many of us live that way? I did everything I could, tried every solution, knocked on every door, everything I could do, and yeah, then I prayed. Amen? Or, you know, I prayed, and then I got up and did a thousand things and took the problem right right. I put it on the throne, I put it at the feet of Christ, and then I picked it up on my way out, and I went to solve the problem myself. And maybe it's just a man thing. We're fixers. No? Yeah, we want to fix something. We, we, we need to fix it. We do. But the powers that God had delivered them from, they ran back to in crisis. And human strength, human effort is still under judgment. Why are we turning back to it now? God has delivered us from effort and placed our feet on the grounds of faith. You know, another principle, our response to crisis exposes where we have placed our confidence, doesn't it? It shows us where we've based our confidences. Where do you turn in trouble? What gives you confidence? Is it your plan? Is it your strategy? Is it your will? Or is it in the power and the protection and the plan of God? God literally says, I had a plan, but you didn't consult me. I had, my spirit was available, but you made an alliance with, with something else. And to, to add sin upon sin, you took your own direction and you went back to natural means. Although you are supernatural, you went back to natural means and, and, and went back to Egypt looking for comfort there. But it's okay though. God helps those who help themselves, right? Yeah. Hesitations, chapter 3, verse 16. Do you know who said God helps those who help themselves? Benjamin Franklin. He didn't, he, 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 he didn't write any scripture, folks. It's not in the Bible. God helps those who help themselves is not Bible. Listen to this quote by A.W. Pink. To declare that God helps those who help themselves is to repudiate one of the most precious truths taught in the Bible and in the Bible alone. Namely, that God helps those who are unable to help themselves, who have tried again and again only to fail. Listen to this. I believe in the old cliche. God helps those who help themselves. It's not only misleading, but dead wrong. Dead wrong. Most spectacular answers to prayers have come when I was so helpless, so out of control, and so unable to do anything at all by myself. God does not help those who help themselves. I'm here to get that theology by the grace of God out of your head. Out of your head. So when crisis comes into your life, your response isn't to, to, all right, all right, well, why do I, well, I just need to white knuckle this thing and figure it out. I need to go back to my plan and my counsel and my reason. I need to make a plan and I need to set a course and I need a strategy and I need this and I need that and I need the other. When you turn to 2 Kings 18 and read about Hezekiah's story, you see this you see this playing out exactly this this very thing playing out in his life hezekiah finds out that the assyrians are 30 miles away in lachish 30 miles away 
And his response is to send an envoy to initiate contact with them. Listen to 2 Kings um, uh, 18, and I'm going to read from verse um, 1. No, I'm not. I'm going to read from verse 13. In the 14th year, King Hezekiah, of King Hezekiah, Sennacherib, king of Assyria, came up against all of the fortified cities in Judah and took them. And look, Hezekiah, king of Judah, sent to the king of Assyria at Lachish, saying, I have done wrong. Withdraw from me. Whatever you impose on me, I will bear. And the king of Assyria required Hezekiah, king of Judah, 300 talents of silver and 30 talents of gold. And Hezekiah gave him all the silver that was found in the house of the Lord and in the treasuries of the king's house. And at that time, Hezekiah stripped the gold and the doors of the temple of the Lord from the doorpost that Hezekiah, king of Judah, had overlaid. And he gave it to the king of Assyria. You know, I want to show you the process here. Bear with me. I want to show you the process. I want to show you how this happens. Reactionary behavior begins a certain way. The scriptures say here that Hezekiah heard of the coming threat of Assyria. And so he sent an envoy out to meet them. So the problem hadn't come to him yet. He went out to meet the problem. I've got a principle, church. The enemy loves to create false time constraints. What do I mean by false time constraint? The enemy loves to get you feeling the pressure. I need to get this. This is on me. This problem is on me. This problem is here and I need to deal with it. And the best thing I can do is preempt the problem by going out to get a solution together. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get out there ahead of the problem if I can and solve it and fix it. And that is not the way to do things, church. Listen to me. The problem hasn't come to Hezekiah yet. His mistake was to go out to the problem. That was his mistake. And so he, he sends out to them before they come to him. And how many of us do that? How many of us try and ride out and meet the problem before it hits us, before it touches our lives? How many of us are married here? Husbands, wives, yeah. Husbands, bear with me. Or wives, bear with me. Um, wives, I know you, you know this experience well. Your husband is on the couch, he's watching something, some sort of game, uh, whatever, something, you know, whatever. And there's something that needs to be done. It needs to be done. The bins need to be taken out. The, you know, the shopping needs to be brought in from the car. And you ask your husband, will you just, just do that? Just take the bins out, right? And they don't move. They say, yeah, no problem. And they don't move. Have you ever experienced that, wives? You have? Amen. Fantastic. Touchdown, connection. They don't move. Maybe they say something like, yeah, absolutely. Yes, love, I'm going to do that. No problem. And nothing happens. What, what happens next? Can, will, will any husbands here finish the story for me? Usually, what you hear is the sound of your wife doing the job she just asked you to do 30 seconds earlier. Because when there wasn't an immediate response, she took things into her own hands. When she didn't get an immediate response, she said, I'm just going to do it. I'm just going to do it. 
It's easier for me to just do it than wait for him to do it. I don't know what his time schedule is. I don't know what headspace he's in. He agreed, but so what if he agreed? I made the request and he acquiesced the request. He said yes, but nothing happened after that. So I just took things into my own hands. Maybe, maybe it happens the other way in your house and it's the, the wife watching a Liverpool game and all that. I'm not judging. I'm just saying in general, do you know? It's funny. The urge, this is urgent. And my husband is still laying on the couch. I'd better handle this. I'd better do it. And that's exactly how Hezekiah began to spin his own web. Hezekiah, okay, I'm just going to throw money at it. Look at this. Look, look at what it says here in verse 14, or what we read it. He goes to the temple of the Lord, strips the silver and the gold, and just throws it at the problem. Isn't it funny? There are the plans without prayer. There are the counsels and the advice. Hezekiah's moving in the face of threat. I'm just going to I'm just going to pay. I'll strip the gold and the silver off. Listen, we, we, you may not have silver and gold today, church, in the face of your problem, but you do have a name. Amen? You do have a name. You may not have silver and gold, but you have a God in heaven. You have a name, and that name is Jesus. And in that name, every threat has to bow and come into subjection. Yet he went, and he stripped the silver, and he stripped the gold, and he, he turned to, to, to material resources, and he turned to military alliances, Egypt, I'm going to pay, I'm going to do all that sort of thing. You know, it's funny, a, a definition for reaction is meeting a problem with an equal opposing force. That problem is too big for you. And yet, when we react, we attempt to meet the problem with an equal and opposing force. And so Hezekiah went, listen, some of us, some, you know, some of the material things in your life are there because God wants to bless you and, and grace you that you might enjoy them and that he might derive glory as the gift giver. God doesn't need you to re-gift a grace in your life because, because heaven's coffers are empty. Do you know? It's like me turning to my son and going, look, Jackson, the heat and bill's pretty high. Would you mind selling a few toys? Would you mind? Just, just so we can make, just so we can, you know, it's got to come out of your end. There's something missing there. I think the best thing we can do is ask the Lord. The scriptures say he owns the, the silver and the gold on a thousand hills. God knows how to provide for his children. And you know what? Even if you have to trim the fat, it will never be from a place of fear, but faith and confidence. That's the truth. That's the truth. Why do we look within ourselves for responses all the time? Another principle, false time constraints, false urgency breeds reactive behavior. It does. That panic. The Assyrians are coming. The Assyrians are coming. The red coats are coming. I need, I need to just do something. And reactive behavior breeds frustration. I've got a thought for you tonight, church. Maybe you should sink your pace. Sink your pace. Wait. It was on God's radar before it was on yours. 
It was. Just because you can't see activity doesn't mean nothing is happening. Amen? It will happen at the right time. Yet we have this built into us and into us. Now I'm saved, I must save myself. I need to fix it, solve it, navigate it, steer it. And we've no confidence in the grace of the gospel. Your earthly husband might forget women, but your heavenly husband will do it. Amen? Amen? He will. God save us from our self-salvation attempts. Our attempts to save ourselves. Principle, reactionary behavior is the denial of our continual need for salvation. We don't need a plan. We need a person. We don't need silver, gold, or armies. We need him. When it comes, I need grace not strategy. I need the gospel. I need to wait. I need to wait. You and I, we need to wait on the Lord. Listen to Isaiah. We're going back to Isaiah now, and I'm going to verse 15. For thus says the Lord God, the Holy One of Israel, in returning and rest, you shall be saved. In quietness and in trust, shall be your strength. But you were unwilling. And you said, no, we will flee upon horses. Therefore, you shall flee away. And we will ride upon swift steeds. Therefore, your pursuers shall be swift. A thousand shall flee at the threat of one. And at the threat of five, you shall flee till you are left. You know what is required. It's here in the passage. Come back. Come back. Rest in the gospel of human inability. Human inability. How did he save you? How did he save you? In your weakness, in your inability, in your brokenness, he found you and he saved you. This is the God that continues to save you now. God is saying to some people tonight, you need to come back to the gospel. Instead of reacting and running ahead of the problem, you need to see that it is too big for you and you still need saving. Return to the gospel. Your inability versus his ability. His gracious response to our utter helplessness. That is the gospel. That's it. He's still the God of your salvation. You're still unworthy of help. Do what you can and God will do what you can't is not the gospel. God helps those who help themselves isn't gospel. It's not grace. Listen, I got some, some declarations tonight for us. How about this? I don't have the answer. I don't have the answer. Do you remember Jehoshaphat, 2 Chronicles 20? We don't know what to do, but our eyes are on you. That's a good prayer. In other words, Lord, I'm, I'm, I'm declaring my inability. I have no ability, but I'm shifting my focus from my problem to my saviour. I'm shifting my focus and I'm declaring my inability. That's what I'm doing. How about this one? I have no power to fix this or solve this. That's humility. 
I don't have it. Lord, change my thinking. And listen, I want you to really, really take this in. This is not for me to solve. This is for me to surrender. The problem in my life is there to bring me into agreement with the gospel that I'm powerless and every solution is found in you. That's why it's there. That's why it's there. Because your faith in God's sight is more precious than gold. I'm cultivating something inside of you and I'm using this problem to do it. Listen to Spurgeon here, quote, in quietness and confidence will be your strength. This is the truth concerning all the trials and troubles in this life. Some of you are passing through business troubles for there are some tremors in the business world and perhaps they are causing you to shake and tremble. If so, do not be readily carried away by these secondary matters. Do not let them depress or excite you. Hold loosely to all worldly things, but grip firmly to the unseen God. Fussing, worrying and hurrying will do no good. Be calm and quiet. All will be well if you are the Lord's child. Perhaps your trial is personal sickness. If so, nothing can be better than quietness and confidence. Worrying will not make you well, though it might keep you ill. I must say that again. Worrying will not make you well, though it might keep you ill. You will be sick just as long as God appoints. Listen, somebody has to hear me here. You will be sick just as long as God appoints, but if anything can help to heal it, it is quietness and confidence in the hearts. Come on, church. Have you lost a friend? Is there great sorrow? Have you some loved one lying in a new grave? My friend, you cannot bring the dear one back and you should not wish to do so. It is wise to submit to the inevitable. It is gracious to bow to the will of your ever gracious God. You cannot do anything that will be as helpful to your sorrowing spirit as to exercise quietness and confidence. It will indeed be your strength. Do you have a sorrow fully equal to bereavement? Have you a loved one who daily suffers? Is that the living cross you carry? Do not worry. Submit to the Lord's will. Ask him for grace to acquiesce in it and learn to wait on the Lord. God's tested child, whatever your condition, remember this promise. In quietness and confidence will be your strength. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Verse 16. But you would have none of it. But you would have none of it. And the scriptures say, instead, the children of Israel chose their horses. You know, that's the problem, isn't it? We know the theology. We know the truth. We know the doctrine. We know what the scriptures say. Wait on the Lord. Be still and know that I am God. But there's a will issue. There's a will issue. We want horses. We want strength. We want speed. We want natural means. We would choose speed over patience. We would choose strength rather than weakness. That's the truth of who we are. And we have to address it. The principle here is 
We love the false comfort of action. It's false comfort. We choose the discomfort of worry and work over the discomfort of waiting. I said, we choose the discomfort of worry and work over the discomfort of waiting. We would rather knock a hundred doors. We would rather the, 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 we would rather do, we'd rather run a marathon. We'd rather go on a pilgrimage, but wait on the Lord. Sit on our hands in faith rather than keep them busy. A thousand productive solutions from a heart of fear. God is interested in motives. Most of the time, our actions are our attempts to control the uncontrollable, to understand and to rationalize the things that are just beyond our understanding. They just are. I want to ask you a real question tonight. Is it really urgent or are you just uncomfortable? Is it urgent or are you just uncomfortable? Are you moving, are you motivated out of the discomfort of faith? I'd anything but trust, anything but lean on him, depend on him. I'm choosing Egypt, natural solutions. I'm reaching for anything other than the hand of the one that was pierced on my behalf. Principle, God cares more about what motivates the action than the action itself. A lot of us don't believe that. Waiting is not the same as inaction. Said waiting is not the same as inaction. You can be doing a lot, but be in fear. You can. Sometimes I think that the Protestant work ethic is just the other side of the coin of Catholic guilt. Amen. The Lord saves us out of the Catholic Church, saves us out of religion. And yet we bring that sort of performance mentality into, into Christ. We do. And we think, well, yeah, I've been saved by grace, hallelujah. But when problems hit us, all of a sudden the God of our salvation is tapping his watch, waiting for us to come up with a solution. Something broken about that, folks. It's a theology that doesn't belong in the mind or heart of any Christian person. It doesn't. In verse 17, look what it says. A thousand shall flee at the threat of one, and at the threat of five you shall flee till you are left. In principle, when you rely on your own strength, you're subject to your own imagination. Isn't it funny? What's motivating you, church? Is it your feelings or your emotions or your fears? Or is it divine confidence? Is it divine confidence? Are you letting your mind drive? Are you spending energy, real energy, fighting the idea, the spectre, the thought of something? Is that what your motivation is? Listen to this. Remember, one is given the strength to bear what happens, but not the 101 different things that might happen. 500 years ago, it was said by a man called Michel de Montaigne, my life has been filled with terrible misfortune, most of which has never happened. Spurgeon again said, anxiety doesn't empty tomorrow of its sorrows, but today of its strength. Isn't it funny? And we have a mentality that says, if I can't earn help, I'll pay for it in worry. If I can't earn help, if I can't do every practical thing, 
to somehow legitimize my claim for help while I'll pay for it in worry. Principle, reactionary behavior frustrates the grace of God. It does, it does. Paul says in Galatians 2.21, I do not nullify the grace of God. And that word nullify means to frustrate. Efforts, returning to Egypt, returning to human strength. It's a nullifying effect on the gospel God, on the grace God wants you to walk in in the face of your problems. We cannot continue to return to strength to save us. If I do my part, if I legitimize myself, if I make myself worthy of help, then God will help me. No, saint, no. And I want to end by looking at verse 18, the good part, the happy part. Amen? Well, look at that. We've set up the problem. And now let's look at what the Lord says here. In verse 18, God says something powerful. I'll wait. I'll wait. While you run and try every door, while you run and go back to Egypt and you try and do this on your own in your own strength, I'll wait to be gracious to you. Look, therefore the Lord waits to be gracious to you. And therefore he exalts himself to show mercy to you. For the Lord is a God of justice. Blessed are all who of all those who wait for him for the people shall dwell in Zion in Jerusalem you shall weep no more he will surely be gracious to you at the sound of your cry hallelujah as soon as he hears you he answers you and though the Lord give you the bread of adversity and the water of affliction yet your teacher will not hide himself anymore but your eyes shall see your teacher and your ears shall hear a word behind you saying this is the way walk in it when you turn to the right and when you turn to the left hallelujah Lord praise the Lord you are still mine you're still mine I will show you that I am a ever-present help in time of need. Folks, grace has a pace. Don't run ahead of it. Instead, resign yourself. Our efforts will always frustrate the work of grace, but God waits for us, waiting to say, when you step out, I'll step in. Hallelujah. Oh, you know, one of my favorite basketball players was Kobe Bryant. And he had a mamba mentality. He was called a black mamba. And he had a mamba mentality. And Kobe's killer instinct, mamba mentality, meant that every now and again, when the coach called for a substitution, he wouldn't step out of the game. Coach would be like, all right, Kobe, come get a rest. Nope, he'd stay in the game. I'm staying. I've got to be here. I've got to play. I've got to do this. If this relies on me. And folks, a lot of us have a mamba mentality. Trouble is, we're not Kobe Bryant. We're not Kobe Bryant. And there's a call for substitution. Remember what I said, surrender, don't solve. Surrender it, don't solve it. There's a substitution that must occur in the life of every believer. When we are reactionary, we substitute God in, a God out for us. But when we wait for God, when we respond to the gospel, we're substituting God in for us. That's different, folks. It's different. And it's funny. The scriptures are amazing. God's so gracious. He says he understands something about us that we learn through discovery. 
We learn through discovery. We can't be told, unfortunately. We have to discover the limitations of the flesh. That's what it means in the scripture when he says, I'll exalt myself. He's literally saying, I'm going to let you discover that flesh will fail you. I'm going to let you rediscover that your strength will not cut it. I will wait until you see that I'm the only port of call, that I'm the only solution, that I am the one you turn to. I will wait until your confidence shifts from yourself to me because I'm everlasting to everlasting. I never change. My strength never wanes. And I am mighty and able and, and to save. Hallelujah. It's the truth. He exposes the limits of the natural mind and its plans so you can see how much better he is. For the sake of mercy, he will let you exhaust Egypt's resources until you see that they are no resource at all. Hallelujah. Listen to this. At how many doors have you knocked to find them closed? And all the while, God has been waiting to be gracious to you. Waiting till you come to the end of yourself, waiting till like a spent struggler in the water, you ceased from your mad efforts and cast yourself back upon his strong, everlasting love. He is exalted to have mercy, but he is a God of judgment or literally of method. That's what that word means, of method. And do you know what that means, folks? It means that he only can save one way. That's powerful. I'm going to do this my way. I'm not going to co-sign flesh. I'm not going to co-sign your plans or your alliances. I'm going to wait because I only do this one way. By my spirit, through my name, by faith in my grace and in my power. That's the only way. That's how I do things. I have one way to save. The soul that waits for God will always find the God for whom he waits. Praise the Lord in the house. You know, David Wilkerson preached a sermon on John chapter 2 and the title of it was this. God's hour of power is man's hour of weakness. When the wine of human effort runs dry, when the wine of man's strength runs out, that is Jesus's moment of ascension to step in with the new wine of grace, the new wine of the gospel, the new wine of his power, the new wine of his strength, the new wine of his resources. It's his resources. It's him. He is forever judged strength. Don't return to Egypt. Don't return there. Rely on the spirit of God as things get darker, as things get more difficult, as things tighten, as, as, as the natural world begins to quake, as the new world begins to, to rise and, and, and appear, the kingdom to come. Do not lose your confidence in the spirit of God to, with, to, to keep you safe. And look at the promises God has in the gospel for us. He answers when you call, not when you perform. When you call, Psalm 145 verse 18 says this, the Lord is near to those who call on him, those who call on him in truth. What is truth? It's Christ. Truth is a person. If you are in Christ, he's already near to you to provide help in your time of need. You don't need to perform. You just need to call. Remember the Ghostbusters, who are you going to call? Uh, yeah, <laughs> And look, 
He's going to teach you your battles, the bread of affliction. Your battles will be your bread. Amen. You'll feed off your battles. Your battles won't feed off of you. Isn't that wonderful? And it goes on to say that you will see your teacher. In other words, you will discern in your struggle, in the difficulty, in the battle, you'll discern the hand of God to instruct you and, and, and you'll see the lesson, the divine lesson in it. Isn't that powerful? And then finally, he's going to direct you. He'll direct you, even when you deviate, even when you stray, even when you fail, even when you go to the left or to the right. There's a consistent voice just behind you saying, this is the way, son, daughter, walk in it. It says in Isaiah 42, 16, I will lead the blind by ways they have not known. Along unfamiliar paths, I will guide them. I will turn the darkness into light before them and make the rough places smooth. These, these are the things I will do. I will not forsake them. These are the things I will do. Folks, uh, thank you for listening tonight. I might pray before I hand it over to Pastor Nick. That's okay. Will you lift your hands with me? Jesus. Lord, I thank you that, Lord, as Hezekiah slept, you slew 185,000 Assyrian troops. When Hezekiah stepped back and turned away from his own strength and solutions and, and, and put his head down at night and trusted in you, you did the work. You delivered him. Lord, as he substituted out, you stepped into a problem that was too big for him. God, I pray that, Lord, as we go on, Lord, as we move on, as your church continues on uh, during this, this time that's so fraught with difficulty, I pray, Lord, that you would walk closely behind us. Lord, as you've promised to do, showing us where to go, showing us what to do, Lord, I thank you, Lord, that you're going to give us provision in the most miraculous of ways, Lord. Whether it's by a brook, Lord, or whether it's through a widow, you know how to provide, Lord, in even the most difficult times, Lord. Help us not to be reactionary. Help us not to move and be motivated out of fear. But rather, Lord, give us the grace to trust you. You will wait for us, Lord, to submit ourselves to your power. So I pray, Lord, that you wouldn't have to wait much longer, that we would abandon our faith in horses, our, our hope in human strength, and we would turn to you and experience divine deliverance in the days to come. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. We will wait on the Lord. Amen. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for tuning in with us today. Make sure to follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Cork Church. Also, make sure to like and subscribe to our YouTube channel. If you have any questions, you can email us info at corkchurch.com or just check out our website. It's www.corkchurch.com. Again, thank you for tuning in and we will see you next time.